0: corruption in the community. Well, we're going to jump right into this chapter in uh, Acts chapter 5, and uh, this is a weird story uh, that we're going to look at this morning. It's a a powerful story. It's really direct, and it leaves us, if you're really kind of investigating God's word, it kind of leaves you going like, oh, okay. Is this how God works? Does he still work this way? And so it's important for us to kind of really dig in there, because we want to Look at the context. We want to look at what's going on. Who's uh, the, the writer talking to here? And so we're going to just do Bible study together and then ask, what do we learn from this passage? And that's really, that's really the nature of good Bible study. What is the passage saying to the people it's written to? How can it apply to us as well? Hey, I just want to uh, call out, I know I'm going to embarrass you, but uh, like Lynn Church just finished a college Bible class that she was taking. What's the name of the class? Old and New Testament, and she crushed it. So, like 95% she got on. So, I tried to get her to preach this week, but um, I couldn't get it. I didn't wear my nanos today. Oh, (laughs) that is true. I got my nanos on. All right, next week. You're on next week. All right, hey, Acts chapter 5. I'd really like you to put your eyes on this. So, if you've got your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 5. Or uh, if you would, take your phone and find Acts chapter 5 uh, through your Bible app, and uh, I, wanna, I want you to look at that. Of course, we've got sermon notes flowing now, too, so uh, it, you can use that uh, as, as well on those sermon notes. So if you got in here and you didn't happen to grab sermon notes, um, if you slip up your hand, and, and uh, I'm going to ask Lucas if you don't mind hitting anyone that might have their hand up this morning. Um, so <laughs> they're right there on the corner, Lucas. Sorry. That, this is on the fly. Top of the shelf there. (laughs) Look a little higher, Lucas. You got it. You got it. So, That's my bad. I didn't prep him on that. Acts chapter 5, I want you to look at this, and we want to ask a few questions when we get rolling. Let me remind you, the great theme of the book of Acts is the coming of Christian power and its building of the Christian church. And this power is the Holy Spirit. Don't miss that. The focus of the power in the book of Acts is on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit coming upon us and filling us and empowering us. And the building of the church happens through the manifestation of, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the life of who, do you remember? Somebody say it. The believers, yeah. That means they, those who were followers of Christ, and that means you and I as well. If we have any hope to see people come to know Jesus Christ in our life, It will be through us allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. That's what we're looking at. Now, the early church is rolling. In terms of church growth, it is rolling now. We found two different occasions that the church grew 3,000, 5,000, just like that. We have two other times in these first five chapters where we learned that many people were coming to know or becoming followers of Jesus. And so great things are happening. We've read up till now in chapter 2 and chapter 4 these times of them coming together. And it gives us kind of a list of what was going on, the praying and the breaking of bread and the fellowship and the listening to the apostles teaching as well. So the church is kind of rolling. Here's the question. What can derail a church that is growing and seemingly is being empowered by the Holy Spirit What can derail that? It would seem like, well, nothing, right? But we actually find this story today where uh, this this kind of impacts the church in a certain way. God intervenes a certain way, and then the church has a dramatic response. All right, let's take a look at it. Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Let's read. However... A man named Ananias, along with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he withheld some of the proceeds from the sale. He brought the rest and placed it the care and under the authority of the apostles. Peter asked Ananias, how is it that Satan has influenced you to lie to the Holy Spirit by withholding some of the proceeds from the sale of your land? Wasn't that property yours to keep? After you sold it, wasn't the money yours to do with whatever you wanted? What made you think of such a thing? You haven't lied to other people, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he dropped dead. Everyone who heard the conversation was terrified. Some young men stood up, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife entered, but she didn't know what had happened to her husband. Peter asked her, tell me, did you and your husband receive this price for the field? She responded, yes, that's the amount. He replied, how could you scheme with each other to challenge the Lord's spirit? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out too. At that very moment, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men entered and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her with her husband. Trepidation and dread seized the whole church and all who heard what had happened. The word of God for the people of God. What a story here. I mean, everything we've been reading up till now, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, dramatic things happening in the Holy Spirit, we would say very, very positive. At least what we would say positive for, you know, what we've been kind of calling the good guys, right? The followers of Jesus. Very positive. Even when the religious leaders came against, threw him in prison, challenged them, we get this kind of victorious story of how the followers of Jesus put their faith into action. And then we get like this major, like, Uh, Bummer of a story, or we get a thing that kind of freaks us out just a little bit. What is going on in a story like this? Well, uh, let's jump in. And to understand this story, we've got to look back a little bit of what was going on just before. And I need to remind you, because the theme has showed up several times, of oneness. That is a huge component that we're seeing in the book of Acts, this unity that is among the believers, but remember, this oneness, one of the huge attributes of oneness was sharing of each other's possessions, was taking care of each other's needs. In fact, it's no really different today. I mean, if I'm over, you know, a neighbor of Tim over here, and I need to borrow a lawnmower, and he gives me a lawnmower, you know, lets me borrow it for the afternoon, there's some form of oneness that happens just in the sharing of each other's stuff, right? But if he came over and just said, look, here's what I'm going to do is, Take it. Have the lawnmower, right? You need it. I mean, there's another form of that. But let's say in my life there was a need, right? There was some, something in my life. I, I, I didn't have food to put on the table. And Tim came and said, here's what I did. I sold my lawnmower. And here's the money. Make sure you put food on the table for your family. Like, you can just sense the connection, the oneness that could happen. That's going on in the church every day. It is a staple of what is happening. And so let's take a look at this passage just before here. And uh, you'll have to see it on the screen today. It says this, after they prayed, the place where they gathered was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speaking God's word with confidence. We read that at the end of our last passage in Acts two weeks ago. Here it is. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, This is mine, about any of their possessions, but held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and an abundance of grace was at work among them all. There was no needy persons among them. Those who owned properties or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds from the sales, and place them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. Then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. Listen, this was not like church mandated. This was not like somebody sit up and said, all right, we're the apostles now. We're in charge. This is what we're going to make you do. This is not a system that was put in place. There was something compelled in their own hearts to want to give, to want to take care of the needs of someone else and, and to offer over whatever they could, And for many of them, one of the examples that was used is they would sell things that they had, selling plots of land. Now, you've got to understand in this day, if you owned a plot of land, you were well off as a Jewish person at this time. The Roman Empire had come in. There was Roman occupation. There was heavy, heavy taxation. Do you remember how just hated tax collectors were? And even more so... The Jewish people that the Roman Empire recruited to be tax collectors for them, they were hated, right? Think of Zacchaeus. That's what we're talking about. And so most of the Jewish people, they lost their land. They lost their stuff because of this. So if they had land, they they had a little bit of wealth. And so they felt compelled here to sell what they had, to sell what made them wealthy. And actually... They were selling what set them apart from some of their other Jewish brothers and sisters. They owned land. And yet they were so compelled in their heart to share that they did this. Listen, let me step off for just a second this. And we've seen this over and over. Like this has to be a defining quality of the church today. It has to be. It's what makes the the church in acts different It's different because of their hearts, the the compulsion of their hearts to share. And so should it be for us as well. Here's what I want to encourage you. Would you every day just add into your prayers, Lord, today, how can I be generous to someone else? In what way can I be generous? Every once in a while, I get a phone call at the church and somebody says, listen, I've got a gift to give. Do you have anyone in need? And I know what's going on. The Lord just put it on their heart, right? Something dropped in their head and they were like, yes, Holy Spirit, I should give. I'm just going to give. We, were, we sold this thing or we got this thing. We had this extra. Is there anyone in need? That's what's going on here. So that's what's happening. Compelled to meet needs is going on. Take a look at this example. You might know this person. If you don't, let me introduce you to him. Verse 36, Joseph, who was who the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, do you remember that name in the book of Acts, right? Barnabas, this is what it means. That is, one who encourages was a Levite from Cyprus. He owned a field and sold it, brought the money, and placed it in the care and under the authority of the apostles. So what we're getting there is Luke is actually giving us, that's the author here, he's giving us an example of this. He said, hey, you remember uh, Barnabas, he sold the piece of land and he brought it. And he gave it here. And so we get this example of this. Now, you might remember Barnabas later because Paul is going to come to know Jesus Christ in a dramatic conversion. Paul, who was actually hunting Christians down, then he became a Christian. Barnabas is going to be the one that takes Paul under his wings, takes him to the apostles and say, hey, I can vouch for this person. So this is in his heart and spirit, this, this encouragement, this generosity, this, this desire to build into people and build people up. So he's doing this. Now, some of you are Bible scholars, Lynn, right? And you might go, wait a second. He's a Levite, right? Do you remember Levites from the Old Testament? They, they were in charge of, uh, of doing several of the, the acts of worship in the temple, right? Levites can't own property. Is Barnabas disobeying the law of God here? Well, it says he was from Cyprus, right? And the law actually says that you cannot own property in Jerusalem, right? So he sold a piece of property back home, maybe a family piece of property, and he brought the proceeds here. So there's a lot of work involved in that, right? Having to go back home or have some messenger go back home, sell that piece, get the proceeds, bring it to the apostles, and there was the money. So that's what's going on here. In fact, I would guess that this is a story that was shared. You know how when somebody does something, we have them give testimony. You know, They say, I just was so moved by God that I started a food bank, or I started donating shoes, and it kind of blew up into a ministry, and we, they give testimony. My guess is this is a story that would have circulated and had been told. And so we want to understand that just as the Holy Spirit gave boldness to share Jesus, we've been talking about this whole series, the Holy Spirit gave great generosity as well. The Holy Spirit led them to be generous, empowered them to be generous, because on our own, we don't like to be very generous. We don't like to hand over our stuff quite as easily, right? But through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, there is this, this desire to be generous and to help others. That's what's going on. Here's the second thing that, that we pick up right away. Uh, is No church is perfect. Did you see that in this passage? No church is perfect. Now, have you ever been in a church that you would say, that was perfect? Those people were perfect. Nobody ever did anything wrong. Pastor never did anything wrong. No, no right? You had a bad church experience in your life at some point? Yeah? So have I. We all have. I mean, because there is no perfect church. And we're seeing that right away here. I mean, we're not talking about Ananias and Sapphira like there were some like outsiders who just showed up one day and said, hey, uh, I want to introduce ourselves. It, understood in the context of this passage is these were believers and they were showing up. They, at least, at very least, they had been people who were around the believers enough that they were thought to be believers. So We see in the first four chapters of Acts, prayer, generosity, sharing Jesus, caring for people's needs, healing, and what in this story? And deceit. Because here's what's happening in the story. Barnabas was in a position of leadership. He was in a prominent position. And when he sold this this piece of land, um, I'm sure this testimony was shared, this story was shared. And so it makes sense for Ananias and Sapphira and most biblical scholars think that they likely wanted the same, the same influence, maybe the same position, maybe the same authority. Maybe it was just a little bit of a power grab. And so for them, the way to do this was to sell and not, hey, we sold this and we gave some, which was their right to do. We gave everything, gave it all. Who doesn't like a good story about somebody who just gave everything, just emptied everything for someone in need? But that wasn't the truth, was it? The truth was actually that they gave part of what they sold, which is no problem, no problem in that at all. If you eBay your golf clubs this afternoon, right, and you make $500 on it, you're under no obligation to bring that $500 to the church to give. You're under no obligation to give that to the first person in need in your life. But as the story goes, the deceit is that they shared that that's indeed exactly what they did. There was an image issue here. And we actually find that they schemed together. Take a look at verse 2. With his wife's knowledge, he withheld some of the proceeds from the sale. So this was premeditated. They got together, they got their story straight. Here's what we're going to do. And they went to do that. So that's what's going on here. And we're finding right away, even in this church, this growing, thriving church, there is this opportunity for deceit to sneak its way in. You know, Luke includes a story, you know, in here as he's talking about this, reminding us, like, you don't buy your way into this. Like, you don't buy your way into the calling. You don't buy your way into uh, somebody looking and saying, wow, they're they're following the Holy Spirit. We talked a few weeks ago, you don't skill set your way in this as well, right? There's nothing wrong with selling and giving. There's nothing wrong with having an amazing skill set. But this is an example of a story where they rested on one thing and not the Holy Spirit. And what's being told is a story of Deceit. What do we learn from this passage? Let's just look at a couple things that we actually learn. I think they're impactful for us, but we'll also keep breaking down the passage as well. Here's the first thing we got to be wise to what influences us. My guess is you've probably not intentionally sat down in the last few years on pen and paper and you wrote down those things that have influence on your life. Like where you look at that list and go, yeah, that's influence. Probably you haven't taken that list and prioritized it and said, this is the greatest influence on me or at least going on right now. But we need to look and know what influences us. The Kindness Foundation gave their top four. You want to know what they are? Take a look at this. Write them down. They're, they won't be up on the screen. The number one influence is people closest to you. Number one influence, people closest to you. Makes sense, right? Your friends, your families, those who allow. Good or bad, the influence, Right. The number one is the people you allow to be closest to you. Expand that out a little bit, though. That's not just friends and family. Um, That is certain personalities you allow, maybe through media as well. When we allow that in through it or through reading a book or those type of things, it's the people we allow closest to us. Makes sense, right? Here's the second thing, ideals, right? If you have a certain ideal that something should be a certain way, that will influence you on what you do, what you say, where you go in life. The third thing this makes sense too, is religion, right? This is not a a Christian group that's writing this, so they just put this as religion, your religious beliefs, right? You would go, we would say go to God's word and let God's word lead you and teach you on what you should do. What is that? That's influence. And then here's an interesting thing, the number four. I would not have thought of this on my top four. Desire for more. It influences you. If you have a desire for more of something, it will influence you. And there are even at times, as I read the article here, that that desire for more will jump up to the number one position and it will overtake those other three things that are in here. That's what our story is about today. This desire for something more. Uh, a position of leadership, with a position of authority to be looked at in a certain way, to have a certain reputation. This desire for more led them here. That's what was influencing them. Peter's talking in verse three, and he says, how is it that Satan has influenced you? Cuts right to the chase, doesn't he? he says, look, this is, this is Satan influences in you. Yeah, like, I know that when we're we're little, you know, when we're kids, we try to get away with that, you know, especially if we're church kids to say, oh, you know, "It wasn't me, like the devil made me do it. Mom, dad, you know, it wasn't really me, right? We've all tried that. It, it, we've, we usually tried it once because it never really works with, with mom and dad. But really, in a real way, that's what Peter's saying is Satan has found his avenue into your life. Now, here's how I know it didn't go. They weren't sitting in a room, Ananias and Sapphira, just... To, just hanging out, kicking back, and Satan walks in the door and says, hey, Ananias, Sapphire, i got a deal for you here. And, and they could clearly see this as Satan, right? And, and Satan lays it out. Here's what I want you to do. Sell this land. I want you to, to deceive the disciples, and then here's what I'm going to do for you on the other side. Like we know it didn't happen that way. It's when we entertain these thoughts, and Satan finds some sneaky way into our life to speak a word into us, and sometimes it starts even as a word of hope, but if it doesn't line up with God, then we can be exploited, and that is what's going on here. Here's the the phrase to remember, that we're naive to think we cannot be influenced. You ever thought that? I can't really be influenced by this. Like, like, listen, I I, I know today, I've, I've shared this with you guys before, and I want to be careful how I share this because there's no holier than thou here. But something clicked in third grade, uh, sliding down a slide, I said a certain word that came out of my mouth that we would all put on the curse word list, right? And I was freaked out. I was looking for my mom. She was going to pop behind a tree or something, you know, had, had heard this. And for some reason, that moment, I can remember exactly where I was at, what I was doing. I said, you know, I'm not saying those words anymore, and there was some list of words, and I know all of, our word, all of our lists don't match up perfectly, but there was a list, a pretty conservative list of words, that I'm like, I'm not saying those anymore. Now, I'm 48 years old now. I think I was under eight years, so we're talking about, you know, more than 40 years ago, and I've not said those words since, right? Now, I know, though, every once in a while, I'll sit and I'll watch a movie, where the words are just flying left and right, you know? Guys are good action flicks sometimes. They're flying left and right, right? And I know even though I go away and the word doesn't come out of my mouth, boy, it's bouncing around up here everywhere. It's just flying everywhere. We're naive to think we can't be influenced. Now, I don't see any passage in the Bible where there's a list of words that you should say and, 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 and don't say um, so that's not what I'm getting at. Don't add another, you know, level of, of legalism on this. That's not where I'm going. The point is, there is something I felt committed to, yet I am, would be naive to think I can't be influenced. And those words bounce around my head. Rich Mullins wrote a song years back, the late 80s. He says, we're not as strong as we think we are. We're frail, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, forged in the fires of human passion, choking on the fumes of selfish rage. With these, our hells and our heavens so few inches apart, we must be awfully small and not as strong as we think we are. I got to listen to him talk about this song and what he was singing about, what, what led him to wrote that. He said, this is what I s- he saw so often with Christians who don't allow the Holy Spirit to fill them and lead them and guide them. We stay very small and we're influenced by all kinds of things. So, what do we learn? Be wise about what influences you. Here's the second thing we learn hypocrisy is a big deal to God. Like, it's a big, big deal. Now, the word hypocrite, you might be familiar with it, so let, let me share this anyway. The word hypocrite is actually a drama term, and, and it's about wearing a mask. And so when you wore a mask, an actor term would be like that is a hypocrite. They're an actor that puts a mask on. And so what would happen, especially in this day, is these these coliseums, uh, these places, amphitheaters, where you couldn't quite see the actor or their expression, they would have these large Mask on on a form of canvas that they would have, and they would hold it on a stick in front of them. And so they would move around and act, but this big piece of, of canvas like material would actually kind of be their mask, and there would be different like expressions, facial expressions, and things like that. And they would just switch out these different canvases for the different acts that they were playing out on the stage. And that was known as they were hypocrites, right? because they were acting out they wanted you to see the expression and so this term is what is where this actually originates with but it also means this we find to bring an answer so when you're a hypocrite you're bringing an answer to somebody you're wanting to say hey i have the answer for you and you give the answer to them now have you ever known somebody who likes to give answers to you and you know they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> they just like to share with you the answers, you know? I remember a baseball coach once telling me, "Just teach what you know." Okay? You don't need to go beyond that. Just teach what you know. You know what I'm talking about here? Wrap those two concepts together. That is what the word hypocrite means. So when Jesus actually takes this phrase and he uses it to describe the religious leaders, This is what he's saying about the religious leader. They're like big mass, but that's not who they really are on the other side of that canvas. And he's also saying, hey, they're bringing you answers. There are really no answers at all. They don't really even know what they're talking about. And so Jesus uses this about five times, this phrase. Now, this word doesn't show up here, but that's what we're getting. We're getting an example of this here. And it's a big, big deal to God. Take a look at the the passage, verse 4. After you sold it, wasn't the money yours to do with whatever you wanted? What made you think of such a thing? You haven't lied to other people but to God. Make sure you're perfectly clear on that. They don't have to give a dime to the church. Don't have to. They can sell their their land and do whatever they want with it. They could have kept their land and done whatever they want with it. They could sell their land, give half to the church, keep half for themselves. They could give a small portion and keep the rest for themselves. There's fine. There's nothing mandated here. It is that they came at it desiring somebody to look at this mask and think something of them that was not who they really were. And this is powerful. No one forced them. You know, I don't know about you, but I am compelled sometimes, though I, I, I get on myself for it, I'm compelled sometimes to pretend to be something that I'm not. Are you conflicted with this? Does it ever hit you, this desire to kind of be something, the desire to offer the answer when you don't really have it, or to Google it really quick and then say it like you knew it a long, long time? Right? All these little things, there's some... Something within us that compels us to want to be something or be perceived as something that we are not. I would love for you to think I'm really fit because every once in a while I post some gym stuff, right? I'm not, (laughs) really. Like, I come in last, second to last in class all the time, almost every workout. It's just how it goes, right? Boy, I'd like you to look at me and go, man, that's a really fit pastor, so... It's just not the case. Why are we compelled to do this? Here's an interesting point. Hit me really hard. The first two deaths in the early church, they're from liars, not martyrs. They weren't for people passionately preaching Christ and living out Christ, and somebody else didn't like it. Now, that's going to come. That's going to show up. In fact, two chapters later, we get the story of Stephen. But it's from two people that were trying to deceive God within the church. That's powerful. I don't know what you think, but I read a story like this and I go, man, thank God he does not strike us all down for this today, right? Chances are most of us would not be in this room today if that was the case, right? Maybe you're like, well, I never sold a piece of land and made a big grand display of it, Right? But conceptually, we understand what's going on here. Uh, But then again, does God still do this? Write down in your margin Romans 1.24. I'm going to read it to you. It won't be on the screen. Listen to this. Paul is writing later, and he's talking about a people that are kind of living out a certain way against God and not honoring God is the word he uses. And then in verse 24, he says this. So God abandoned them to their hearts desires which led to moral corruption of degrading their own bodies with each other they traded god's truth for a lie and they worship and serve the creation instead of the creator who is blessed forever you see in a real way god was doing the same thing here saying if that's what you want if that's the way you want to live I'll turn turn you over to it, but the consequences come with it, which leads us to this third thing we see here and we learn. Sin always brings some form of death, always. Now, with Ananias and Sapphira, it was death, like boom. They fell down and they died right there on the spot, right? It's not like they were given five minutes to think about what they did and repent, right? Seek forgiveness and all that kind of stuff. They were dead on the moment, right? But sin always brings some form of death, whether it happens dramatically, and I can't think of a story in my life quite like this, right? Or whether it comes gradually, where the life is just kind of sucked out of us because of sin. Now, let's understand sin for just a second. We talked about it two weeks ago, just a little. Um, It's not a list of rules that the Christian church has created, and we post it somewhere, and you just need to look at that list every week and make sure you don't do any of those things. And if we think about something new, we'll add that to the list just in case we forgot something. That was the Pharisees' ways, right? That is exactly how the Pharisees operated. When we talk about sin and we look at God's word, it simply means this, missing the mark. Meaning that there must be some mark God wants us to hit, to follow. You know, a way that he wants us to live out our life and what he wants us to offer our lives to. And when we miss that mark, that is what's simply called sin. The word selfishness would be the closest word to help us identify what sin really is. When I consider myself and my own desires outside of God. I shared with you that this word for sin actually shows three different ways. We just didn't have time two weeks to talk about it. The first one we did talk about, it was the willful, habitual sin. It's the sin that says this, this is me, deal with it, I'm doing this. Or, this is what I have, and listen, I don't really want to seek to go get any help for it. All right, Because I don't even want to reveal it to anyone. That's this first form of sin. But there's a, second, a second form of sin shows up in First John is the mistake. We blow it. Anybody blow it this past week? Right? Was it just me? It's just Andrew and I. So it's you and me. All right? Yeah. Well, you, well, you just blow it. And you walk away and go, why did I just do that? Why did I just think that way? Lord, forgive me. That's terrible. Paul actually writes about this in the book of Romans. Where he says, why do I do what I don't want to do? Right? Romans chapter 7, read that for yourself. But there's a third form that this word of sin is used in the New Testament, and it means weakness. You know the passages? There's a couple of them about weakness of the flesh that show up in the New Testament. That's actually the same word. It it comes from the, the, the same connection here. And it simply means this, is when we put ourselves in a position where we're not allowing ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit or empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're weak. And it opens up the door for us to go in a different direction. That's what we're seeing from these two characters this morning. We're seeing a lot from them of kind of playing church, but not being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so there was weakness of the flesh there that led them to choose an action. And so when we read about it in that way, what we understand is this willfulness, or this weakness, when we choose not to be, plan ourselves in the Holy Spirit, it sucks away life. And it's what Jesus talked about in, in John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come that they could have life indeed, so that they could live life to the fullest. Jesus said, this is what I came to do, to give you life. And so when he says, look, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and it's better for you that the holy spirit does come upon you that's what he's talking about the fullness of life but the enemy the, the, the thief comes to rob you of that to influence you away from that to keep you in the state of weakness that's what's talking about here and it always brings death some form of death it always robs you of something sin never delivers what it actually promises Oh, sometimes for a short period of time. Sometimes just you might think just like I have think, why does that person always seem to excel? You know, they're not honoring God. Why are they excelling? You know, but sin never delivers in the end what it promises. Never. Here's a final thing we find in this passage to realize that church is hugely significant to God. Remember, this whole book is about the building of the Christian church. And when I say building of the Christian church, not just simply coming together on Sunday morning, singing a couple songs, getting a message and going home saying, yeah, I did church. That was fun. But there's actually understood in the church that we're coming together. There's a calling. We talked about this to the assembly. The assembly comes together and then there is a here's what we're going to be about. Go out now and do it. That was understood in the term Ecclesia. That's what it was all about. That is really significant to God. Really significant. All the way to the point that what he's saying here in Acts chapter 5, you want to deceive what I'm doing, what's starting, what's launching here, what's growing, what's on the rise? I'm going to deal pretty strong and harsh with that. All you needed to do is tell the story of, Yeah, did you hear what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? I mean, they're dead. They fell down dead. They sinned in front of the apostles. They fell down dead. And that would be a strong motivating factor, Right? You would understand man. God is really serious about living this out. He's really serious about us doing what we claim. I don't think there's any problem with somebody coming into the church, into this church in the book of Acts or in our church today and say, listen, this is just who I am. This is who I am right now in life. I want to just shed and be vulnerable before you. I've done this. I've done that. I've lived this way. I've lived that way. Whatever. But I want to learn what it means to be a follower of Christ. I don't think there's any problem with that. Because Jesus receives us right where we're at. And then Jesus starts to speak into our life and want to transform us and grow us and move us on. But it's when we pretend to be something that we are not that a problem comes in. And here in this early church, God wants to nip this really fast and make a point of this. The verse in verse 11 says trepidation and dread seized the whole church and all who heard what had happened, I guess so, right? This awe is actually in the Greek the word for awe of looking at God and thinking, wow, reminding ourselves who God is, the sovereign, almighty, significant, salvation-giving God and putting him back in the place that he needs to be. So the the Christianity stuff, that's a big deal in here. The building of the Christian church, that's a really big deal in this passage. Blessing others through generosity, that's a really big deal that shows up. Sharing Jesus, we've seen over and over. That's a really, really big deal in the book of Acts, in the first five chapters here. Yet so many believers and followers of Jesus Christ today, they're not marked by these characteristics of loving the church, of being generous, of sharing Jesus. These are really big deals. It is in a way of us saying, you know, like, yes, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. I know these things are of great importance. I'm just not going to do them. And that's an issue. I don't think you're going to fall down dead. Um, I hope not because, again, I'm just like you. I fall into these things. The writer of Hebrews shares with us later, and let us consider each other carefully for the purpose of what? Sparking love and good deeds. Don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some people have forgotten, have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, listen, encourage one another, especially as you see the day drawing near. We're, we're called to gather as the church to empower one another, to remind each other who we are in Christ and what we're here to do. And then to go out and do it over the course of the week. That's hugely significant, we find in this. I've heard this phrase said before if you miss church often, you'll miss church less. I'll let you think through that one. So, the church uh, here is there's a togetherness that we're called to be and to empower one another to go live out this thing. Live out this thing called Christianity. Would you bow and and pray with me? Father, we thank you for this passage, even a passage that's sometimes hard to wrap our heads around. We thank you, Lord, that there is such grace that when we have blown air, we have made mistakes, even at times where we we have wanted to deceive. Lord, with a plan in place ahead of time. Father, your grace has come. You've convicted our heart. Lord, sometimes that conviction is hurt. You've allowed us to confess. And Father, if there be anybody in here this morning, but that is what you're doing, you're calling them to confession, to confess before you this morning. Maybe it's to confess, to say, I have pretended to be what I'm not really, especially as it has to do with my faith in Jesus Christ, my commitment to Christ. Would you do it? You can can just do it right where you're at. Just go before God. Confess that before him. He knows, but boy, does he like hearing it from us. Confess that to him. Do you know that when we offer confession, in an instant, he offers forgiveness. You're forgiven. I'm forgiven. But he doesn't want to keep us in that state. He wants to say to us, yeah, now let's do something about this so you don't have to keep coming back and confessing. Let's build and move forward. And that's where we need to put ourselves as we leave here. Thank you, Lord, for this in your son's name. Amen.